Hey podcast listeners, super stoked to have you guys back on and deliver another episode for you today with none other than Coach Rob. I I really value my relationship and my friendship that I have with Coach Rob. The reason for that is because it gives me, I guess it's refreshing for me to see him use the science-backed methods that he does when it comes to heart rate zone training and it gives me a bit of confidence with what I do with my own coaching because I kind of touch on it at the start of this podcast, but I've had some great mentors over my time in the last five years since I have become a coach, mentors in the strength and conditioning space to help me become a better coach and and give me a better skill set because I'm always looking to improve my skill set so I can provide my clients with a better service. And I know all this stuff about heart rate zone training and I knew it before I began before I began, uh, before I became a coach. And then when I had these mentors that I was paying a very substantial sum of money per week to mentor me, they, I guess what they were um, teaching was in opposition to this heart rate. They were were preaching the high intensity training principles, um, which there is science to to back up the the high intensity training but i think where a lot of people miss miss the boat is taking into account the overall stress in people's lives so if you're listening to this and you're perhaps getting i don't want to use the word older because i don't feel like i'm old i'm about to turn 40 next week i don't feel like i'm freaking old i'm planning on living to over 100 so i'm i'm not even close to that yet so what i mean is if you're a 21 year old dude then you're perhaps not not stereotyping here, but you probably perhaps got a little bit less overall stress in your life than some of you guys who are listening to this and girls will know as you move through those decades of life, there is quite a bit of other stresses that come into our life. Things like perhaps building up a business or building your career, having a family, getting a mortgage, having to put bread and butter on the table each week, pay the bills, um, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of stuff that goes on and all that stuff, all that, everything in our life is stress. It's, it's contributing to that stress. So I've had to learn it the hard way myself and that's why I'm so big on it now with, with my clients is, is following these principles around heart rate zone training and being in tune with how much stress is coming into the system. So that's why I'm so stoked to be able to work with someone like Rob who obviously has the experience there to back up uh, what he's what he's talking about, and it's something that I see with my clients as well. Like my clients who get the best results are the ones who are on top of managing this and managing their overall stresses, and we are getting improvements in their ability to operate at a high intensity level. We're improving their times in in anaerobic time trials with a reduced heart rate, which means they're more efficient. And we're doing that without doing any or very little high intensity training. We're doing lots of aerobic base to improve their aerobic efficiency, obviously working on strength largely as well to improve their ability to put down power, their mobility to improve efficiency of movement. And when we do that and we complement it with nutrition, sleep, hydration, we see them get 
improvements in their results of 2 to 10% every eight weeks when we test, which is a lot. When you consider that they're actually not doing much work at all, very little at high intensity, they're doing lots of low intensity work and very small amounts of quality high intensity work. Then when we push them hard at a high intensity level, they do it easier and they do it quicker. So there's tons of knowledge in this podcast, so I'd encourage you to take some notes if you've got a little notepad. There's there's a lot in here, and if you've got anything once you listen to it, is there anything else that you want to perhaps get some clarity on, just either send Coach Rob a, a message or send me one. I always reply to my DMs. I try to get back to them within 24 hours on Insta, um, so if you drop me a DM on Insta, that's probably the best place to get a hold of me. Either, either Insta or, or a direct message to my Facebook page, my business Facebook page. I'll do my best to get back to you within 24 hours and help you out. Otherwise, we'll get into it. Um, like I said, tons of knowledge in this one, so I hope you enjoy it. If you've got any feedback, please let me know. Always, I always love hearing feedback, good or bad. Like we, The podcast is for you guys more, more than us, so if, if there's something that you would like to see included or something that you think would be a benefit then then hit us up let us know and if you get some value out of it if you give it a share on social media that'd be even awesome too so i'll get into it guys see you all on the next one today we've got coach rob back on the podcast how are you brother Hey, I'm doing good, man. It's good to see you again. I understand you're a little cold over there. A little bit cold. We're in the midst of winter here, so probably different to what you're experiencing. Yeah, it's uh, hotter than heck over here right now. I think we're right at the edge of hell's door, to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) I could do with a little bit of that right now. I bet. (laughs) If you're close to zero, I bet you could. It's not too bad this morning. I just We actually just finished our last Zoom session with my, my face-to-face clients who have been doing their training at home, do that each morning with them. So as of Monday, we're actually allowed to train in the gym again, um, train clients. So, so that was our last session this morning, which was cool with them. So I'm kind of warmed up a little bit, a bit of blood flow. There you go. <laughs> Hopefully you got a couple of cups of java in you and you're ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking forward to this. Thanks so much for giving me a buzz and thanks for letting me come back on. I always appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you giving giving you out giving us your time. It's um it's always good to have you on. Like I said, it's um it's hard to find people that not just got your depth of knowledge, but also your experience. So it's 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 cool to be able to share that with the listeners. Nope, appreciate it. And I want to thank all the people who have supported your podcast because I I think it's one of the best out there, not to blow smoke up your skirt, but it's it's nice because there's no agenda behind it. It's just really getting into the the, the, the meat of uh, physiology and nutrition and psychology and just all the little nuances with it. So it's cool. And you're doing a good job. Keep it up. I can't wait to see your gym full again. <laughs> Me too. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so for, the, for this one today, I thought we'd get into a bit of heart rate zone stuff because you and I, we, we talk about it quite a bit in other podcasts. And I guess... Yeah. I think it's probably because I guess you and I understand it, um, you more so obviously, but we, we've both got an understanding of it. So for us, it kind of seems simple. Well, it, it is simple, but for I guess for a lot of people when they're just being exposed to it, 
sure. there can be a bit of confusion there. So I've, it's something I've had a fair few people messaging me about on, on Instagram lately asking questions. So I thought we could sort of dig into it a little bit and just try and break that down for people sure. to simplify it for them. No, it sounds good. I've, I've been a big advocate of heart rate training, even back in the eighties when they first came out. And it's interesting because a lot of people want to kind of dismiss it and almost poke holes in it. So hopefully today we can, we can shed some light on it. And, you know, in, in all transparency, I want people to understand I'm not a brand ambassador for Polar or Garmin or anything that's out there. Like you said, let's just get to the, the nitty gritty about why we train with heart rate monitors. They've come a long way in a short period of time. That's for darn sure. Yeah, hundred percent. I guess that's probably something I wanted to say too. Like it's been something that's been so good for me, I guess, finding you and working with you a bit closer and having you on the podcast, obviously, because I've, I've had <clears throat> some mentors since I became a coach that I've paid a lot of money to. Um, and, and back when I first started, uh, I knew all this, like I, I'd studied all this and I knew all this about heart rate zones, but then I, I went and paid this mentor a lot of money per week yeah. to mentor me and he's actually telling me the opposite not the opposite but he's all about high intensity training and just going hard every session and don't worry about heart rate zones so I guess for me it was refreshing and gave me confidence in what I do to come across what you do and to say well actually no this is the best way to do it yeah well and take your thread of thought just a step further how how um, irresponsible is that to say don't worry about intensity just hammer it's kind of like encouraging somebody to go jump on their bike stay in second gear and ride it wide open for 20 30 minutes at a time and not think that it's going to stress the system yeah i always want to draw a parallel to that mechanical world because we would never you know common sense would tell us that's a great easy way to blow your bike up quick well, then what makes you think the rules are any different for a human body? It can only handle so much load. And what makes it so difficult is we don't have the ability to pull the adrenals out and replace them like we can a top end or a bottom end. And I think that's where people need to start this whole concept about heart rate training. What is the ramifications on my body? Whether you want to look at high heart rate, the excuse me, the metabolic byproduct that comes out, the negative side effects of high intensity training, the wear and tear on the body. Is there a time and place for it? Absolutely. But just like there's a time and a place for first, third and fifth gear on a bike too. It always has to be applied at the right time in the right place. So I do hope people see that there is something behind intensity beyond the scope of just lay it out there. Your body will accommodate. It'll figure it out. No, it won't. It'll burn out is what it'll do. So first one I thought we could we could get off first cab off the rank against one I've had a couple of questions on and that is just how we determine our max heart rate because obviously yeah. we've got if we talk about the five main zones we've got to figure out what they are for us yeah. as a person so we need to do that we need to know what our max heart rate is because a couple of the questions I've had for people over the last from people over the last few weeks saying they're using the 220 minus their age thing and they can't hit that number. <clears throat> and then I also had had a guy saying he, he was using a number that he saw two years ago when he did a high intensity interval. Um, so that, that he thought that's his max heart rate. So he just used that to determine his heart rate zone. So I guess that's probably a, a good place to start is how do we figure out what our max heart rate is um, and how often should we be checking in on that? 
if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to the two comments that you just said on those two situations. The gentleman using a heart rate that was seen two years ago, we need the listeners to understand that your max heart rate number is gonna change based on the cardiac output of the heart. We measure the, the cardiac output in the volume of blood, millimoles of blood that's pumped out. So as you become more cardiovascularly fit, most people think that the max heart rate needs to go up. It's, I don't wanna say it's the actual opposite because there's always caveats to everything, but recognize that as you get fitter, the max heart rate number should come down. Just like you notice your resting heart rate comes down as you become fitter. Not that there's a one-to-one. -one. If your resting heart rate went from 60 to 55, it's not like your max is gonna go from 195 to 90. So I, I think that's a very important point because we're gonna get into the question you just asked, how to do it and how often yeah. will bring more light to the, guy, the idea of the guy that's using a number that's two years old. There's a lot of danger in that. The other side of the coin was you made a comment that the person spoke to you and said, I took 220 minus my age and I couldn't get the heart rate high enough. That is very insightful. There's more to that comment than just what was said. And this is what I mean. We're trying to get a maximum heart rate, but what if the muscular system isn't strong enough to push the body hard enough and long enough to tax the cardiovascular assessment? I, I've said this on the show before. Imagine a set of railroad tracks. This is your strength base. This is your aerobic engine. Well, if one starts to overdevelop at the expense of the other, your, your railroad tracks are out of alignment. If I can keep parity between strength and aerobic engine, and then I can elevate that entire platform, I'm able to take on more volume, more intensity, more frequency. And I don't want to sound like a hypocrite here. I'm not advocating incrementally more and more intensity. I'm saying as your body becomes more athletically mature and durable, you can incrementally take on more if the systems are in parity. You said it, that what the gentleman or the, the lady said, I couldn't get my heart rate high enough. That tells me that the physical system, the muscular strength, it shut down before they were able to cardio, cardiovascularly push themselves. So when you, and you've got the gym behind you there, I've had the privilege of being there and training with you and you killed me and did a great job. I say killed you because you've got some really creative stuff, which I love. The importance of strength cannot be underestimated because you'll never push the cardiovascular engine if the muscular system isn't strong. That's why I always like to draw the parallel with the railroad tracks, whether you want them to go this way or that way, they just have to stay in parallel. Yeah. Now, going back to the testing, my rule of thumb is, is I want everybody to test their max heart rate every six to eight weeks, depending on what your race cadence is. Because what that allows you to do is, if you think about a six-week block, we test on week one, identify the maximum heart rate, identify the physical limiters, train to eliminate those limiters over the next four weeks. So put it together. You have week number one, test and assess. You have four weeks of training, and then one week of recovery. The reason why we want to do that is week one shocks the system. Number two, three, and four creates confusion. And as the body begins to adapt, we want to come in with a new round of assessments. We want to come in with new strength and conditioning exercises. So your first question is, I like to go every six to eight weeks. If I'm going to go to an eight-week cycle, the only thing that changes is we still have the rest week is always the last week. You're just adding two more weeks of load. Yeah. How we do it is something that... There's always a lot of schools of thought of, you know, if anybody's a cyclist, FTP, functional training power and stuff like that. 
there's a multitude of ways that people say is the best way to test. I'm not really going to argue if there's one better than the other, just choose one and stay consistent with it. Yeah. Because if you're going to tell me that this FTP assessment of 20 minutes is more accurate than the eight minute, great. That's what you believe. Go with what you believe and trust. Just keep it consistent. Yeah. What we do at Moto E is we have protocols for the rower, the skier, the bicycle, running, swimming, elliptical, and the motorcycle. Essentially, anything, any form of training that people are going to do off of the motorcycle, we have a max heart rate assessment because the more muscle you use, the higher the max heart rate is going to be. You'll notice pushing around, you know, uh, what's we call it 220. What, how many kilos is a dirt bike? 100 and 110, mostly for 450 over here. Okay. So you're looking at 110 kilos, obviously the more muscle you use to push and pull. So we always see the motorcycle be the highest. Then we see running and the concept two rower tend to be right below that. And then it goes bicycle, mountain bike, you know, all the way down to swimming, swimming being the lowest. The way that we do those tests and it, I want anybody who's listening to the podcast to please write this down because it's so important that you do it accurately. Before you do a max heart rate assessment, there's three things that have to take place. Number one, you have to allow for an adequate warm-up. Now, this goes back to what we said earlier. There's a lot of people that aren't in shape enough to be doing a max heart rate assessment. Hmm. In that case, I would recommend that they use Phil Maffetone's formula, and it's 180 minus your age, and then you can add 10 for someone like yourself that's very fit and very experienced. You can Google it, Phil Maffetone, great guy, very experienced, has a tremendous amount of success, is a no BS kind of guy. But if, if you've got somebody that's fit enough to test the physical and you're able to test the max heart rate, number one, you have to have an adequate warm-up. We all know that the second set in a gym is always more comfortable than the first set. Yeah. Neuromuscularly, at an electronic standpoint, your brain's firing with the muscles. But what you're also doing is you're vasodilating that tissue and warming it up. You're getting what's called a metabolic shuffle activated. Your body's starting to produce incrementally more lactic acid. What is lactic acid? Converting, and this is in generic terms, converting stored glycogen from the liver or the muscles into energy. Well, it's like the exhaust pipe on your bike. As you convert more and more sugar, you produce more and more lactic acid, again, in very general terms. So step number one for any assessment is you have to be adequately warmed up. I like my athletes to warm up between 20 and 30 minutes. Now, some of the listeners may say, well, that's my workout. I'm done. I get it. Then don't do a max heart rate assessment. Yeah. Take a formula and just use it. Okay. The second thing that has to happen, warm up for 20 minutes where the first 10 minutes is at a steady state and then throw in some brief accelerations, 20 seconds, maybe 20 seconds on, 40 off. I'm just cubing out a minute. Maybe you go 30 on, 30 off. What you're doing there is imagine you're kind of blipping the throttle. You're just kind of priming the motor a little bit, but the accumulation of lactic acid converting stored sugar to energy is just going to kind of rise a little bit, a little bit, little bit, little bit. What that does is it gets the tissue start to become acclimated to the presence of lactic acid. You don't want to go from a heart rate of 80 to 180. The lactic acid dump will just, it'll just shut you down. Yeah. So the first thing we look at is an adequate warm up. Number two is prime the engine. Make sure that you're throwing in some accelerations. 
And then the third one is making sure that you're topped off from a hydration and a glycogen standpoint. You know, as we were teasing about, it's hot as heck right here right now. It's 100% humidity at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's sticky. It's hot. If you go and you do a 20-minute warm-up and you've thrown some accelerations in and you've been remiss on breakfast, you haven't maintained hydration, and now you're going to go do a time trial, you're not going to actually be able to push the system. It's like saying you want to get a max number off of your dyno on your motor, but yet everything's off by just a smidgen. Are you really going to trust the end result of that dyno report? Of course not. So those are the three things that we always encourage our clients to think about. Warm up, prime the engine with some lactic acid accumulation, top off on hydration and your electrolytes. Sports strength for the sugar, sports strength for the electrolytes, and then you're ready to go. I would also encourage everybody to weigh themselves before they start their time trial. So that way you can see what your perspiration rate is for that duration at that intensity level, average and max heart rate. Now, we can talk if you want, if, if we've got time on the show tonight. The idea here is on the bicycle, I like to have it be an out and back. Um, yeah. If you want to go 10K out and 10K back, that's fine. I have some athletes, depending on their fitness level, you know, we'll go as far as, as 20K out, 20K back. I have some time trials that may be two sets of 20K time trials, depending on where they're at as an athlete, what are they training for, what is their weakness, okay? If I've got somebody that has some psychological demons and just really can't push through, that second time trial serves a completely different role than the first one does. Yes. Now, like when we deal with running, we like to have it where it's an odd, you know, an odd number. What I mean by that is we'll do a five, we'll do a five mile or, um, I apologize, I'm trying to convert it back and forth from miles to, to kilometers quickly. But you can imagine a five miler is pretty cool because what we do is we throw out the first and the last one. Yeah. Think about it. When you're fresh. The first one's always super fast. So you discard that one. Your glycogen levels are topped off. You're fresh. There's no muscle set tenderness. It's the three in the middle that really matter. Because why do I throw the end one out? Well, you can smell the barn and so you take off like a bat out of heck. Yeah. This number is going to be skewed. This number is going to be skewed. So we focus on the three in the middle. What was the pace? What was the average heart rate? And what was the max heart rate? And you'll notice a theme here. We do the same thing on the bike. You notice I said an out and back. I want you to start your watch. When you get to the turnaround point, hit your interval and then take your time back. Did you blow yourself up at the beginning? What was your average and your max on the way out? On your way back, what was your average and your max? You take that information and now you can start to build a profile of what is the physical and the mental limiter of that athlete. I don't want to get away from the original question. Sure, we're still getting max heart rate numbers, but you want to be able to just, you don't want to just take the total number and go, oh, it took 32 minutes to do a 40K, or excuse me, take an hour to do a 40K when you've got all these variations over the course of that 60 minutes. Yeah. That's, and, and one thing that I want everybody that's listening to write this down, you should not have more than a 10 to 12 beat deviation between your average and your max heart rate. Otherwise one or the other numbers are not accurate. Yeah. Let me give you an example. If somebody comes back <laughs> and they say their, their average heart rate was a 150, but the max was 190, there's no way those two can coexist. 
Well, I think that that could just be a case of they're not fit enough to put if it was a if the distance was too long and they've just sort of bonked a little bit at the end and backed off. Well, and that's where we dive into looking at the dashboard. I, I'm partial to Garmin. Like I said, I'm not a brand ambassador. I don't get kickbacks. All right. But I love the Garmin dashboard because what I'm able to do is when you hit the start and the activity button, I'm able to track what is the heart rate? How is the heart rate tracking to your point exactly? If the heart rate spikes and they essentially have gone anaerobic and then they just kind of regroup, well, that's going to skew the average heart rate. When you look at the top athletes, if you look at their heart rate chart, it looks like a block. It goes up, levels off, maintains, and then when they shut off, if they're aerobically fit, heart rate plummets. Yeah. What you see with a, a young amateur in particular is you see the heart is all over the place. Because like you said, they're doing a two-minute lap time, 217, two-minute lap time, 211. They're, they're adjusting their speed and the heart rate. That's why I appreciate this subject tonight because, okay, great. Rob and Ben talked about let's go do a time trial and get a max heart rate. Well, the, the job's not done yet. You've got to validate the accuracy of the information. That's where someone like yourself can help a listener. Okay, so you did the test. Now let's do, let's take it apart and make sure that we're getting out of it what we think we are. When you see a max heart rate of 180 and it was achieved in the first three minutes of a 20-minute block, that's not a max heart rate assessment. Yeah. Sure. That's a heart rate anomaly. <laughs> that's why we want to look at the average versus the max. If they're 10 to 12 beats, okay, now we know we're dealing with some accuracy. Then you want it, and in all transparency, if we are looking at the heart rate chart and it bumped from 180 to 207 and then came right back down, you've got to discard the 207 because it, it falls out of the average, not so much on the mathematical average, but just look at the heart rate chart. There's no reason to see a heart rate spike like that. It's not like you're trying to evaluate heart arrhythmias or anything. You're trying to look at and, and when you look at a max heart rate assessment, ideally you would see it just gradually creep up and up and up. That's, these are the kind of things where I think the listener needs to have a human performance specialist look at it because it's not just one number is the gospel. Hey, let's, let's make sure that the accuracy of that information is there. Mainly not, not because of you and I trying to sell our services. Our listeners are going to be listen, or excuse me, are going to be training on these zones for the next six weeks. We want them to be accurate. We don't want them to overtrain. We don't want them to undertrain. So that's why we're very, you know, particular about how you do it, how often do you do it, and then who's who's interpreting the data for you. If you're training with power doing an FTP, I've got tons of people that come to me that have years of, of wattage numbers and they don't know the first thing about wattage. But it looks cool. They got a bunch of Strava reports on it. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't make it much sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think that I guess the important thing that I wanted to, to get across there was it, it is it's super personal to each person. Like just because your mate can hit 190 um, and you can only hit 170, well, that's just your max heart rate perhaps. Um, so it is important to do that test for yourself and, and not use one of those generic numbers um, because every, every human's different. So it's, and I've seen those generic numbers. I've seen those be off by as much as 40 and sometimes even 50%, 50% error. Yeah. But I think what you said is very important. The listeners need to understand your individual fitness background, experience, 
you know, you and I don't play golf. If you and I go and play golf, we're going to be sore beyond belief, not because we're not in shape, but we're not in shape for golf. You're trying to do max heart rate on something that you don't have a lot of experience with. You're going to get skewed numbers because your, your body's just not familiar with that environment. And, and I want to kind of dispute, I want to diffuse an argument that I hear quite often. Does a higher heart rate mean somebody's fitter? As you said, somebody at 190 versus 170? Absolutely, unequivocally not. Yeah. If somebody's at 190, one of the things we want to look at is their athletic background. I want to look at their resting heart rate. Those are things that we want to factor into it. Now, could you have somebody at 190 at a very low heart rate? Sure. That's, that's very possible. However, like you said, it's not about looking and sizing yourself up to one of your buddies. It's about looking at it and going, okay, this is why I want to encourage the listeners. The more I don't want to say frequent because we don't want to do a max heart rate every week. But if you do it every six to eight weeks, think about how many cycle tests you get per, per year. Go back and look at your own numbers. How much have they changed? And I don't want to complicate the conversation. Go and look at how consistent you've been on volume, frequency, duration, and then compare that to your testing results. Because if you've spent six, eight, 10, 12 weeks and you've been really focused, excuse me, focusing on low intensity, really building an aerobic engine, you're going to get a completely different number than if you were doing nothing but high intensity training intervals every day. I'm not arguing that one's right or wrong for the context of tonight's talk call, but the idea here is when we see somebody go, oh, well, his or her heart rate is higher than mine and they're faster than me, so I must have to get closer to their number. No, wrong. You need to go back and compare it to yourself. Yeah. Now, I know for the listeners, I, I've gotten some feedback that they take notes. So please write this down. The thing that we want the listeners to keep in mind is, are you able to go faster at a lower heart rate based on your numbers? So if I did a 40, uh, let's say I did a 20K time trial, and let's just say hypothetically that it took me 17 minutes to do that. And I did that at an average heart rate of 190. If I can be faster and be below 190, I know I'm physically more powerful, stronger. I've got better muscular endurance because I was able to hold it the full distance. And because my max heart rate number and my average went down at a faster speed, I know my cardiac output is up. That's all the listener needs to pay attention to. Don't care what the guy or the girl to the left or the right of you did. or it, There's way too many variables to factor in. Focus on your own historical data. And that's why I want the listeners, if you're, if you're on that fence about thinking about jumping in and getting started, get started now. Because the sooner you start gathering data, the easier it is to really laser in and hone your program to get the most out, you know, essentially increase your own productivity. Data is key. That's why I love the heart rate monitors. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it a lot easier. Well, I was talking to a client today I, and this is no disrespect if there's any listener that finds that these watches are a little bit of a cumbersome nuisance, okay? This watch, when somebody tells me is too much, this is the Garmin Phoenix, okay? When I was tested at the Olympic Training Center, we had to sleep with those electrodes all over your body with these wires all over so that they could get our sleep data. And then someone tells me that this is too cumbersome? It's, it's a really hard pill for me to swallow because I'm like, we literally, I mean, 
they controlled what we ate. They controlled when we went to bed. They had us hardwired. It was like big government gone bad, right? I mean, they told us what the room temperature was going to be. They told us what time we were going to bed. Like I said, what we're going to eat before bed. And then they sit there and they have all these electrodes all over you. And then you get this and you go to your nice little phone app and it's like, oh, look at your sleep log. Yeah. <laughs> and I have people tell me, oh, it's just too much of a pain in the ass. I don't want to wear the watch. I'm like, hey, what? <laughs> very hard for me to be empathetic to that kind of a comment. <laughs> um, so I think that what I, I kind of get from what you just said is it, that's why it is so important to test um, regularly, whether it's eight weeks or having, having a, 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 I guess, a length of time in your program that you check in on that max heart rate because one, it is so personal to you. Two, it's also going to tell you, like, if you know that your max heart rate was 180, you've got that, you've, you've hit that number a couple of times in a test, and then you go and complete the test and you can only hit 165, well, then obviously you're going to correlate that to the time as well. So if the time's slower and you couldn't push yourself, that's a, a bit of a red flag, right? Like that's an indication that, that something's probably up. It, you, when you get that kind of data, you have literally gotten one of the most important nuggets out of anything relevant to human performance. Because if for the new listeners or somebody that may not be familiar with the term, if your periodization, the way you're breaking the year up, if it's on, on point, that should have never happened. Yeah. Very important that the listeners understand that when the body, as you just illustrated, if the body can't produce the power, i.e. go faster, and the heart rate is, let's say, higher, that opens so much information up to something's not right. You're not absorbing your workout. You're not getting enough sleep. Excuse me. You're not absorbing it because you're not getting enough sleep or enough food. You're spending too much time in the upper zones, which means the lactic acid and all the metabolic byproducts are essentially backing up. You're breaking the system down more than you're building the system. You're in a state of catabolic versus anabolic. People hear anabolic and they get all paranoid because they think of steroids. Think about it. Catabolic is the chronic breakdown. Anabolic is the systematic growth and improvement. We want all of our listeners to always be in a state of anabolic growth. The body's getting enough sleep and food to repair muscles to get stronger. They get enough rest and food that all the cardiovascular fitness results in improved cardiac output. We know it as aerobic fitness. The thing that you just said, though, is when you do a, a systematic assessment and it's on a, a consistent cadence, you're only six weeks into screwing the pooch. Yeah. This is a huge benefit to, to, to testing every six to eight weeks because you've only, if you want to use the word wasted, six weeks. Yeah. Now, I don't like to use the word wasted. What I say is we're off. We, we missed the mark. Yeah. I have very, very thick skin. I'm not afraid to tell you, hey, Somehow the, the train took an exit to the left. We got to pull it back onto the track, but we only have to look at six weeks instead of six months or even a year. This is what destroys professional athletes when they don't have somebody that's looking at it with a non-financial advantage. One of the services that we do is we look at all the human telemetry. That's one of the services that we do. Why do we do it? Because if you're going to pay me a consulting fee by the hour, I'm going to tell you what I find. I'm not somebody that represents you in a company. I'm not somebody that, that gets compensated, i.e. an agent, on your results. 
I'm here to tell you as a human being, this is the path you're going down. Here's the adjustments that I would suggest. I'm not judging a coach. I'm not judging a team manager. I'm not judging anybody. And we do this for quite a few pros that people don't even realize. We do it without agents even knowing about it. And we do it a lot of times without the team managers because whether people want to acknowledge it or not, when you're writing for a team, you're just an entity. They don't own, they don't like you. They don't love you. You're essentially just a pawn and a cog. Now we all, we all go into it knowing that that's not, that's nothing new to us, but when a parent or an up and coming pro contacts us, what do they want to know? Do I have longevity? Can I keep this going? Because when team X drops me and team B picks me up, hopefully the next team wants to pay me more, not keep going backwards because my results are starting to, to fall off. Why are your results falling off? You're older, you should be smarter, your craft should be getting better. And this is even for your listeners that are weekend warriors. If you're gonna train, you should be getting better. If you're not getting better, you need to be talking to somebody. Well, having someone like yourself who has thick skin and you're looking at the results going, hey Tim, I just gotta be honest with you. You're just not absorbing what we're doing. It's not you saying that you're doing it wrong or you're a bad coach, but together it's not working. Like you said, the time went slower, heart rate, maybe even went higher. That's signs of fatigue and stress. But one of the things that the listeners need to keep in mind, so far in this conversation today, only thing we've talked about is the max heart rate number. Let's not be remiss on the resting heart rate number. Because when you calculate heart rate zones, it's maximum minus resting heart rate gives you what we call heart rate reserve. And we do our five zones off of that because you bring up a very valid point. What if your resting heart rate just keeps going up and up and up week after week, showing signs of stress? And remember what we said, stress could be personal, professional, financial, or athletic. Well, if that stress scale keeps going up and the resting heart rate's going up, all five of your zones are completely, when I say skewed, the numbers are inaccurate. Yeah. So it's very important. What we do is we take this week's average, and we go back the last three weeks and we average the weekly average. I know that sounds like the word average quite a bit. And the listeners are like, whoa, hold the horse. <laughs> Essentially, what you're doing is taking the last four weeks weekly average, averaging those four numbers to be as laser focused as possible. You said it even earlier. There's somebody that's out there using a max heart rate that's two years old. What about the resting heart rate? I've had people that... They gave me their resting heart rate off of their week at vacation at the beach. Well, my goodness, you're eating, you're sleeping, you're, you're relaxed. There's no stress. You're on vacation or holiday. And you're going to use, yeah, you're going to use that lowest heart rate that's ever been seen. And you're going to compare it to the highest number you saw two years ago. And then you wonder why your results in the current here now are less than optimal. Yeah. I'm not saying that in a condescending way, but this is why people pull their hair out. They're like, what the heck? I listen to Ben, I get it. I should have a max heart rate. I should test every six weeks. But are you using accurate numbers? Yeah. So that's that's very, very good point that you bring up. Yeah, well, that's good. That kind of answered my next question. I was going to talk about the resting heart rate and how important that is. So you kind of already, yeah. you, we got that one in there. Well, the key is, is to always factor the last four in because if I'm working with somebody who's a CPA, March coming into April tax season, is going to have a skewed number than the rest of the year. 
And yeah. I think resting heart rate, you know, if your wife's having a baby or you're starting a new job or you just lost your job or one of your parents became sick, you're just going to discard that stress. That would be, that'd be very, very foolish because you're trying to hold yourself to this level of accountability at when things were going relatively good. And now a couple of things in your life have gone to shambles. You're not playing the victim card. You got to respect your body and use that adjusted resting heart rate. If it's skewing up, you got to keep updating it. We ask our clients in hundred percent transparency. We ask our clients every Monday to take the last seven days. We work on a Monday through Sunday cycle. Take the last seven day average, factor the last total four weeks and update your heart rate spreadsheet every Monday morning. That way they, re they, they refrain from overtraining or undertraining. Keep them out of the junk area, keep them from burning themselves out. That's our responsibility as physiologists, but the athlete, the listener needs to trust that. Because remember, we're not wearing the heart rate monitors, we're not doing the time trials, the listeners are. Trust the numbers. One last thing that I wanna say on the, the illustration you gave up, because I think it's really important. What is it that makes testing so advantageous? Well, when you learn, my buzzword is familiar, as you become more familiarized with going into that, that flow state where you're really pushing the envelope, the more you test it, the more familiar you are. When you go there in the mode of competition, your body enjoys it because it's familiar with those surroundings. We talked about this when we were working together down with uh, the Empire Kawasaki team. If you drive a kilometer down the road for the first time, it's awkward. It feels like it's six kilometers instead of one because you're not familiar where you're going. Once you know where you're going, it's like autopilot. Well, if you can get yourself familiar, not every day, <laughs> but if you can get yourself familiar with testing every six to eight weeks, when you go into that what you want to call it the house of pain, the pain den, whatever I call it the flow state, your body's like, all right, we know what, we know what heart rate's going to be sustainable. We know how much fluid and how many calories we need to replenish based on that duration. Now I'm just an autopilot. We wonder why the results are so good because you're controlling the variables that you've tested and you understand. Yeah. That's why I'm so glad that you're doing this on heart rate, because to me, it doesn't become a tool of bondage. It becomes more of an empowerment tool. And before somebody sends you and I an email, oh, but heat and humidity influences heart rate. Yeah, you're right. That's why you've got to adjust to the conditions. Yeah. If, I do, if I do a time trial and it's 30 degrees, that temperature silo produces different results than if it's 10 degrees. And that's what you and I do. We build heart rate zones with those type of variables factored in. And I hope that makes sense with the listeners. Really important variable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, that, that was one thing. We, we've got a question there that we'll probably get into at the end on the, on the different zones and, and why we need to train them. Um, sure. I don't know, it's something we've covered a lot in all of our other podcasts too, but that's something I've definitely found with my clients is when we, I actually, when they know the why and, and the, the purpose behind doing a, a zone two workout, sure. um, well then it actually becomes easy to do it or because they know it's contributing. So although it might feel like it's too easy and it, it's not actually doing anything, sure once they yeah. understand why, it actually becomes enjoyable to do that workout because they do feel good after it's not stressing the system and they know it's contributed to the end game. I think it's the, 
it's the piece of the puzzle that's overlooked the most often and not to throw anybody under the bus. Most of the quote unquote, because you and I don't consider ourselves trainers. Uh, you know, we consider ourselves human performance specialists. I think most of the trainers out there can't explain the why. So it's easier just to dismiss it and say it doesn't really matter or don't challenge me on why we're doing it this way. I'm the trainer, hear me roar kind of a thing. And like you said, I think anybody that's listened to, excuse me, has listened to the previous podcast that we've done together. That's the mantra that you and I die by. Nobody listening to this podcast should start a workout not having a clear understanding as to how this workout contributes daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, as we used the word earlier, periodization wise. Because as we discussed in our last call together, you know, you never know when you're going to lean in on X workout. Was it a 90 minute row that you had somebody do where you just, you said, you know what, mentally you need to get focused. You just need to sit here and think about nothing but why you're even doing this. Now they have no idea when they're going to cash in on that workout. You know, that when like the post that you did of that gentleman increasing the flexibility and mobility of his, his quads, you know, you showed us the end result when it looks beautiful and he could execute it. Well, can you imagine comparing it to where he started? Yeah. You know, being able to see that gap, but he's not going to go and do those types of exercises until he has a clear understanding as to how is it applicable to his goals. This is a thing that you and I've talked about. There's too many trainers pushing their agenda and then name calling and then trying to intimidate. And I'm not saying bullying or anything like that. I'm just saying, it's like, don't challenge me, you know, look at me, look at the size of my biceps, look how big I am, you know, that makes me supposedly a consummate expert. Every person listening needs to know what does this workout do in the bigger picture? You and I refer to it as a 10,000 foot view. We've got young athletes, we've got vet riders, but what is it that we all want? We want to go faster on a dirt bike. We want to enjoy it. We want to be able to ride for long periods of time and not get tired and reduce the risk of injury. That's it. But if somebody doesn't see that's how it all contributes, that's where we start to break down. And like you say, asking why it's, it goes back to your and I's platform. And I I'm so motivated to get this across coach accountability, because as soon as a coach trainer blows somebody out, he or she is just assuming, well, that's okay. I've ruined your adrenals. I've blown your knees out doesn't matter. I've got three more people coming in the back door. That's uncool. That's and, and we're you and I have talked about that off the record. And we've got some things in place that we can start holding people accountable. I want to be held accountable. Because if I'm not held accountable, then I'm just somebody that's trying to cash paychecks. I know it sounds like a textbook cliche, but I want to increase the health, the wellness, and then the performance of anybody that's willing to listen. But if you're not going to respect your health, then I can't help you. And if you don't feel comfortable enough to be able to ask why we're doing it to protect your health and longevity and sustainability, then you need to find another coach or a trainer. And I mean that sincerely out of no disrespect to anybody, but when someone gets their panties in a wad because you're asking why are we doing this or how does it benefit the bigger picture, you should always be able to get an answer. And I love the fact that you encourage what's the why behind it. it makes all the difference in the world. It does for sure, yeah. That that in, I guess that that's something that you've spoken about too. But <clears throat> we're trying to educate our clients. We're not just telling them to do a workout and then they have to for for the, I guess that they have to rely on us for the rest of their training lives to right. to to follow the program. They 
like ideally they're going to get to a point where they might say, you know what, I think I've got this covered and I could, I could actually put a program together myself. That's not going to cook myself. Absolutely. And I know I keep saying it this way, but take that thread of thought a step further. When somebody has come to you, that's been training the other way. And there is that fear and the doubt because it almost becomes an addictive mindset that if it's not painful and if I'm not miserable and if I'm not excessively sore, then it quote unquote, isn't working. When they start to almost give themselves permission to enjoy finishing a workout and going, yes, I pushed myself, but I didn't smash myself. Yeah. And I can't wait to come back tomorrow. This gets into the psychological side of performance, but people don't realize that your body remembers the last thing you did. Yeah. So you smash yourself and you walk out of the gym and then you're so tired you can barely drive home. You wonder why the body, the next, whether it's the next day or 48 hours later, is resisting wanting to go to the gym. Yeah. This is a very harsh example, but I think it's a very applicable one. If you've ever been around an abused animal, we adopted a, a, a Kishon dog and I was dancing around with my little guys when they were four and, four and six. And I picked my leg up and I was going to kind of dance around on one leg. And when I picked my right leg up, that dog hit the ground like nobody's other. Mm. And I just realized, wow, this, that's what the dog correlates. Now put that in human terms. Your body thinks that everything that you do is about abuse, abuse, grind, grind. Is there any wonder why we say, screw it? This sucks. Yeah. Well, not about you, but I don't like to get beat up. No, I like to push myself. I like to challenge myself. I like to elevate my potential. I like to, I like a good, you know, mano to mano. Let's either out fox each other out, you know, let's play the tactician on the bike, but I'm going to find a way to get to the finish line before you, but I don't want to get into a fist fight afterwards. Yeah. If your body thinks every time you go to the gym, nothing against MMA fighters and boxing, because that is their platform. And I get that, but I'm saying figuratively speaking, the gym shouldn't beat you up. Like you just went in, into a UFC fight. 100%. But if, if every day it just gets a little bit better and the body starts to embrace it, this is where we see people have a complete turnaround with their fitness because they're like, I actually enjoy it for the first time. And now their clothes are fitting snugger. They're more, you know, let's use the word ripped. They're able to push and pull a dirt bike around. They can do it longer. They're get, their skills and drills are getting better because their flex functional range of motion and their strength is there. Wait a second. Now we've got kind of like the ideal combination, good aerobic base, good strength base, good functional range of motion. And I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> now we've got something instead yeah. of I'm taped up with physio tape. I've got knee braces on. I can't sleep. I'm crumpy, crabby. Haven't had a menstrual cycle. Can't get an erection. Hey, let's go ride our dirt bikes. We got the perfect combination. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. That's something I tell my guys in that, like, when we train in the gym all the time, like, you should walk out of the gym feeling better than when you walked in. Always. If you, if you leave that gym feeling crushed, then you've, it's too much. You've gone too hard. Now let's take it a little bit further for somebody that's like a Todd Waters listening or somebody of that magnitude. When, when Todd or you had Dean Ferris on, which great, great show, by the way, that the thing is at that elite level, the days that they need to go to the well, quote unquote, dig deep to get to the front of the pack. Yeah. That's where you dig deep to get to the front of the pack, not leaving your best performances in the gym. Yeah. Anybody who's followed me on the podcast with Gypsy Tales or Whiskey Throttle or my own show, 
I gave the illustration of the 2000 Sydney Olympics and it comes down, there's only three spots and it comes down to four runners with only a kilometer and a half to go. That's not when you're wishing you did more strength, more speed, more, more, more. That's when you're wishing you had that extra gear to go, but you've already left it in training and you don't have that ability to go. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, see in four years and we'll try again. Yeah. That hurts, you know, sure. but it doesn't make us popular. So we've got a couple other good questions that I'd love to get through before we go for it before we take up too much more of your time. <laughs> no, my time is yours. And I appreciate the listeners sticking with us. We always have good stuff. This is, I, I actually really like this question because it is something I know some of my clients have, have found, I guess, challenging when they're doing their training. And that is the difference between going out in the, into the real world and, and going for a ride on your cycle down the road or a trail or whatever that is for you compared to sitting on a spin trainer. Um, so the question from Shane, he said he can hit a particular number with his heart rate when he's out on the trail or, okay. or on his road cycle. When he jumps on his wind trainer and he tries to hit the same number, he, he blows up. So he, he's finding his max heart rate on the trainer compared to when he goes out in the real world. Is There's a differentiation there. Yeah. That... I think I think I know what what you're going to say, but because um, yeah. there is a, I find there's a massive mental load to pushing yourself on a trainer compared to up a hill, as an example. Um, yeah, absolutely. the The thing with the trainers, and and I want to make sure for the listeners, whether you're running a smart trainer like you're using, you know, Zwift with a, a Wahoo unit, or you're using the traditional like a, a Kirk Kinetic arrow or a fluid or a cyclops fluid. The thing that I need all the listeners to pay close attention to is we use a multiplier of 2.5. And what I mean by that is for every minute that you're on the bike, on the trainer, it's like two and a half minutes outdoors. Now there's no exact science behind that. That's just a rule of thumb that I've developed over the years and it, it's, it's worked pretty well. Here's why I go to that multiple of 2.5. Because when you've got that rear wheel attached to that magneto or you're using the smart bike, that load level never leaves you. There's no tailwinds, there's no, there's no downhills, there's no stop signs. It's on the body, the load is there. I mean, the, so this is where we got into the subject earlier about you're talking about getting into a heart rate zone and yet the legs are, are tapping out before you can get into those zones. Well, that's because the amount of load on the tissue gets no reprieve on a trainer. This is where for the people who are, are diehard cyclists that train with power, this is where that FTP fluctuation has to be in place. If you're using a smart trainer, you've gotta be, okay, be comfortable to, and say it's okay to take that FTP, and I'm using very loose numbers, from 175 maybe down to 130 because you're supposed to spin for an hour and a half and your heart rate's just going through the roof or your legs are so fatigued you can't turn the pedals, cut that FTP down. So to answer the question directly, the reason why you're going to see the heart rate be a, a little bit, or I don't know, depending on how he was describing it, maybe on the trainer it goes way higher. Or if I understood you correctly, he can't get the heart rate up because his legs give out before. Correct, yes. The reason be because of the consistent amount of load, there's no rest. The other side of the coin is 
when you get on a stationary bike, a lot of times we see people not moving their butt around on the seat. Think about how much you move around on the seat when you're on the open road. If you're on your road bike or your mountain bike, if I were filming you, you're moving forwards and backwards. Most people don't realize if you slide your butt back in the seat, you get more power than if you go forward. This is the science behind a triathlon bike. But what you don't realize is there starts to become an undulation. You go through your gears and then the next thing you do is start moving. It's what we call your sit points, the initial tuberosities of your butt, you, those two bones. You start moving those around on the seat. That changes your power curve. Well, think about it on, a, on a stationary trainer. Most of us just sit in one spot. We don't move. Where if we're outdoors, we do adjust to the elevation changes. That's something that a lot of people overlook and it can contribute to his frustration as well. If at any point we didn't answer his question, I hope he'll e email both of us because maybe I, I, I want to make sure he maybe he had a different perspective. But if it was the way you described it, that would be the, the main reason why he struggles between on the trainer and being outdoors for sure. Yeah, no, you're right. That's that's exactly what he said. He, he can't keep okay. his, his heart rate up as high when he's on the trainer. So is that something, do you think in that case, he might actually have a different set of zones from the trainer compared to if he goes out on the road? Or do you think it's more, he needs to work more on muscular strength? Yeah, it's, it's a brilliant question because it's about measuring the amount of load outdoors to indoors. If you're, you know, if you're training like with a, a power hub, or the power cranks or the power bottom bracket. If you looked at, I'm just gonna use an even number, if he's riding at, at 200 watts, I bet you the heart rate will be very close to one another. The challenge comes into when you've got that magneto set on that rear wheel or your smart bike is set at an FTP of let's say 180, that load is inconsistent to what you're comparing it to the open road or on the mountain bike. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't want to answer your question with a question. It's about, you got to create parity. What's the load on the rear wheel outdoors and what's the load on the trainer? Trainer is very predictable. Yeah. That's where I say you can, you may not realize you're on a 4% grade and you're like, Oh, that's what it feels like on the trainer. But then you get that coast down the backside or you literally can coast and the bike keeps spinning where if you're on the trainer, you stops pedaling the, the rear wheel stops. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that that rule, like that 2.5 thing. That's that's a good thing. And again, that, that would be a mindset shift for a lot of people to actually em embrace that. Um, but And that's why when I write my, my programs for my clients, I literally say 90 minute outdoor, maybe I'm doing a heart rate ladder. And I'll specifically say, if, com if completing on the trainer, cut the time in half. Yeah. And people are like, wait, you said 2.5. I'm just saying for illustration purposes, Cut it in half because yep. you're going to get the same amount of load that you would have done in 90 minutes. You would have gotten that in 45. I, I think if anyone's followed me for any period of time, it's no secret. I have my athletes on a stationary trainer. If they're a triathlete or they're cross training for motocross or off-road riding is a bicycle. I yep. always advocate buying a stationary trainer because I can get two quality workouts without fail, irregardless of weather, trail conditions, traffic, no matter what. And when I'm working off of heart rate and I, I want to be hundred percent clear, yes, I do train with wattage with my clients, but I use wattage and heart rate, not one exclusively from the other. They got to work in unison together, but you will get so much more. It doesn't matter if it's a skier by concept two, a concept two rower, if it's a bicycle, 
understanding what that power is and having that quality. I'm not, I trust me, I love getting outdoors. I spend the most of my day outdoors. But if you're really trying to get performance gains, if you're really trying to improve your health, a couple days a week of having some focus, I'm not saying wide open, tear yourself down, but are you really generating the amount of load? If we go back, you're supposed to be doing, let's say you're doing 10 by 1K at 175 watts. Are you really hitting those numbers? If you're trying to improve your lactate tolerance, are you really getting into the zone in the illustration of tonight's conversation? Are you in your true identified zone for to improve that LT lactate threshold? Or do you just think you are? This yeah. is where the listeners get frustrated. Like, what the hell? I've been training for six months and I'm not fitter or faster. Well, it's because you're not training at an intensity to improve and eliminate that identified weakness. It's where the heart rate monitor quantifies it. And again, yes, there's always a margin of error in there, but we factor that in. We actually do our heart rate zones with a plus and minus of 2% on either end, the bottom and the top. For yep. somebody that's new to this show, don't get overwhelmed with that. But for those that have listened to us in the past, we always factor in that margin of error. Yeah. Fatigue, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Cause like I, with even just doing a zone two ride, like a, a aerobic base ride on, on the wind trainer, I find, I don't want to use the word hard, but it's, it's actually, it's most definitely more challenging on the wind trainer just to, to have your heart rate at like 138, 140 than yeah. it is, than it is riding out on the road. Well, and you said it earlier, how much of that's physical and how much of it's psychological. Yeah. Now, in all fairness, okay, and, and it's a little bit of the, it's part of the Coca-Cola syrup, but I don't mind sharing it with your listeners, okay? I like to challenge my athletes to mentally challenging type of, of workouts. So you just mentioned, you know, for you, sitting on the trainer mentally is like watching grass grow. It's, it just drives you out of your mind. Yeah. You've got two little busy guys at home. You're used to autopilot. You're go, 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 go. You love it being outdoors. That's your playground. Well, think about the young listeners to your show. How many of them can't focus for more than five seconds? Because that's the duration of Snapchat. I may be wrong because I don't use Snapchat. Maybe three seconds. I don't know. But you get the point. Yeah. Everything that these young athletes are being taught is their attention span keeps getting smaller and smaller. And then we put them on a starting gate. Seriously, I want all the listeners, next time you go to a race, watch the starting gate of anybody on an 85 and below. They look like a bunch of jumping beans. <laughs> but watch their visor. Their visor's like squirrel. I mean, they're everywhere because that's what the phone is training them to do. And then we expect them to just have this incredible ability to just focus all of a sudden and watch the two-minute board, one-minute board, gate's gone sideways. To your point about being on the trainer, I challenge my clients no music, no YouTube, no computer, sit on that trainer and make yourself focus. I'm going to use your term 45 or duration, 45 minutes. Yeah. Heart rate 135 to 140. How many times do you have to keep bringing yourself back in? You're like, Oh, I got it. Oh, oh, stop. Bring it back again. Not because it's your listeners. I don't mind sharing some private information with my clients. We have their frustrations up on a dry erase board. It sits right in front of them on a rower, sits right in front of them on a concept two rower, skier, or the bike on the trainer. So while you're sitting there and you want to be off the bike and you're thinking about all the stuff you got to do, you look up at that board and there's your list of frustrations. 
Because yeah. remember, goals don't mean squat. Everybody listening would be, I say, I want to either be a champion or I want to be fast on a dirt bike. I want to be able to ride with my buddies and enjoy it. We get it. We hear it all the time. What's keeping you from doing that? Those frustrations. Yeah. So when you can sit on a trainer, skier, uh, concept two rower, and when you want to check out mentally and you keep looking at that board and you're like, that's why I'm here. You get focused. You look at that heart rate. You don't go too high. You don't overcook yourself, but you don't go too low and lose focus. How many people don't put the two together? You're going to do a workout, test your brain, address your frustrations, eliminate your frustrations. Why are you doing what you're doing? There's a million other things you could be doing with the time. If you're going to be in the gym, maximize the productivity. This goes back to what you said earlier. Understand why you walked into your, your gym. Why do people pull up in their truck to go do a motor, uh, to do a riding school with you? They should come there with two or three things they want to improve on. Hey, Ben, this is what I want to get better at. And when they leave, they damn sure better be better at what they came to get better at. Yeah. Otherwise, they wasted your time and they wasted their money. I don't want that to sound curt or crass at all. But why the hell would you walk into my gym if you don't know why you're there? Yeah. You've got little ones at home. I've got little ones at home. I'd much rather do that than just go waste an hour of my time to check it off my to-do list. Yeah. But yet, when we, we say this all the time, racing is 90% mental, 10% physical. But we don't train the mental. Yeah. Then we go to the gym and during training, and it's 90% physical, 10% mental, and we don't train the brain. Yeah. So then we go to the race day, and we're like, you know, I don't know why I ride like a squid. Well, you, when you did ride, you didn't eliminate your frustrations. So you keep duplicating your frustrations and you don't have the ability to mentally focus because we've got, we're focusing on computers and, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but it amazes me when you watch these young kids and they're on their phone, texting, Snapchatting, doing what all the shit that they do. And then they've got an iPad watching a movie with a TV on the screen and they're working on their screen computer for school. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine walking in, you know, those big box stores that you guys have? that sell televisions. Imagine, and I want anybody that's listening to think about this, when you walk into one of those stores, all the TVs are set to the same channel because otherwise it's just like it's overwhelming. Well, that's what's going on with these kids nowadays and even us adults. There's just too much shit being thrown at us. Yeah. You've, you've, got, you've got phones and tablets and computers and just all this crap coming at you and we wonder why we can't focus. Sure. I, want, I want the listeners to really think about that. It goes back to the trainer. The, the trainer is, as, as, as much as it will get quality out of the muscles and the cardiovascular, it will build this big muscle that we use the most on race day. And even if you're a weekend warrior or you just like to ride in the bush, this is your biggest asset on those days. Yeah. But we don't train it. We go, I don't know why. <laughs> you uh, do know. You're right. 100%. Yeah. Like that, that's what I tell everyone. Like, Every time you do train, it is an opportunity to train your mental. Like 100%. you're not just doing the reps for the sake of doing the reps. You, you you're training yourself to to be present in the moment. Um, why, and why are you here? Exactly. Yeah. Here? Exactly. Yeah. And that's I'm super big on like reflect or I guess giving some attention to what your goals are every day. Um, yep. And then when you walk into the gym, just remind yourself of that. Like if this yep. is the goal. And that doesn't mean you need to be, the goal needs to be world champion. It might just be, 
to be the, the clubman champion or, or win your class, whatever it is, but you, you're doing it for a reason. So re- remind yourself that and you'll bring a lot more purpose to your training. Well, and in, in I've given this illustration in another podcast. The person that's the genesis behind my be 1% better every day is Adam C.'s dad, Alan. Yeah. Love the guy to death. When, when Adam would mess something up, and I gave you the illustration of him forgetting his glove and all that, but when Alan looked at him and said, and he wasn't yelling, he wasn't being disrespectful, he just said, you just gave up today to be 1% better than you were yesterday. And that always resonated with me because I worked with him many years ago. But I always had the utmost respect for Alan because Alan was about not wasting time. Some people would say, you know, well, you got to have some fun. You're right. And Alan allowed Adam to have fun at times. But if you're going to, let's face it, Adam at a very young age was doing quite well financially racing dirt bikes, okay? His parents did not live off of Adam's money. What Alan was trying to teach Adam is, if you want to be better, take every day seriously, but use it as an opportunity to get better, but train with focus and intent. That's why Alan and I got along very well because some parents are like, oh, you're too hard on them. No, actually I've been fired because I'm not hard enough because I want there to be fun factor, but I want there to be structure. So there's productivity. It's the rule of 1%, but I have to give Alan C the credit for that because he's the one that said, you're the one that gave up this opportunity to be better by 1% today. And yeah. it's always stuck with me. So I hope that resonates with your listeners as well. Yeah, I love it. I love it for sure. So we've got another question, which I'd, I would really like to touch on. Again, it's something we've been through a lot in the other podcast, but the reason why I wanted to sort of dig into this one a little bit was just from another one of our followers on Instagram, Todd. So he, his actual question was if he's doing it and he classed it as an easy 60 minute run in zone three and he okay. goes he goes into zone four or zone five up a hill for a few minutes has he lost the aerobic benefit of that workout um i i, I quizzed him we had a little conversation back and forth on instagram and i asked him do you do any zone two work and he yep. said i'm no i don't i'd be i'd be standing still if i was in zone two so <laughs> i yeah. thought we we could get into that and and the zones because most people, if they've never done zone two, it's going to feel like they are walking. It's going to feel like they're not actually doing anything, but we want to have that polarity in our training where some of it does feel so freaking easy, but the hard stuff is probably needs to be way harder than what most people are actually doing. Um, 100%. You, you kind of touched on it before, but if we're in that middle bit, it's kind of hard, but it's not really doing much. Like it's not stressing either end of the, of the scale. So well, in, I want to, before we jump into the original question, I like that last little comment you made. If you can, if you can strain both ends of the scale, you get the incredible recovery and you get the high-end performance, and then you learn to race in the middle, it feels easy. Exactly, yeah. Now, I, again, before people blow up my email saying, oh, it's the gray zone, that's the no man's land, I get it. But there's certain, when you look at the race distance, and you look at the intensity associated with that distance, there becomes a point where racing in that zone three doesn't let you go too hard, but doesn't let you go too easy, but lets you go to the finish line very, very fast. So I totally dismiss the idea that there's a gray zone. There's a gray zone always. Well, that's what we want to be when we're racing, right? Like 
we want it. If we go, if we go over our lactate threshold when we're racing, it's game over. Like I mean, that's got, right. The goal is to to never ever get there. Really, when we're racing, if we can be in that comfort zone, yeah. Like, like you when you said, understand, when you understand metabolically that getting into the upper ends of four, lower five is non-sustainable. Like you said, it's a point of diminishing returns. You don't ever want to go there. Yeah. Now that's where you can get into a philosophical debate about well, is it important to stress all five energy systems? If let's take one of your uh, five-hour enduro races, okay. Are you ever going to see anaerobic threshold? Yes. People go, Rob's an idiot. Have you ever dropped your bike and tried to pick it up? You're yeah. going to go anaerobic. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not saying in the race you should be ever hit anaerobic on a three, five, eight hour multi-day race. No, you shouldn't until you drop the bike and then you will. <laughs> so when we go back to his original question, one of the things, and, and he said it and you reiterated it, most people are so paranoid of zone two. And just for the new listeners, we always look at five energy zones from aerobic all the way up to anaerobic, whether you want to call it LT, lactate tolerance, or AT, anaerobic threshold, I consider that zone five. So if you use those words interchangeably, there are some differences if you want to get into the nitty gritty, but I don't think that's relevant to the listeners. The problem that most people have is they think that if they train in that zone two, it's too easy. And I think that's where there has to be a change of perspective because what is the purpose of a recovery workout? It should be easy. You can't err on the side of too easy. So to his point, why would be having to walk to maintain that intensity than walk? Yeah. And that's where people get offended. They're like, yeah, but there was a hill. So I went into four, maybe five. You should have walked the hill. Yeah. Because his question is, does that hurt my aerobic development? Yes. I want all the listeners to draw a straight line on the piece of paper. On the left-hand side of the paper, I want you to write the word fat. And on the right, did I say that correctly? Left-hand side of the paper, write fat. On the right-hand side of the paper, write sugar. Above the line, on the left, put 0%, and on the right, put 100%. What that is, is that's what I refer to as the energy matrix. So as you bring, that percentage represents percentage of max heart rate. As you bring the intensity level up, you incrementally burn less fat. If you bring the intensity level down, you burn a higher percentage of fat. Remember what we said before, there's always a matrix of carbs, protein, and fat being burnt and converted to fuel. But we're talking about the ratio. As you bring the intensity, think about it in a motor world. As you bring the RPMs up, you're going to be burning more sugar and less fat. So this is why it's relevant to what he just said. I'm doing an easy run, but yet you're creating a lot of metabolic byproduct. As you open that carburetor up or as you open that throttle up, more exhaust is going out the back end. Well, as you bring the RPMs up in your chest, known as heart rate, you're creating more metabolic byproduct. So you're not getting the aerobic benefit because you're letting the heart rate creep up. Now, it goes back to what you said. What is the purpose of an aerobic workout? Well, an aerobic workout is to teach you to leverage fat for fuel and spare glycogen. We already said it at the beginning of today's show. Glycogen is nothing more than stored sugar. Your liver feeds your brain, your muscles feed your activity. So if you want to teach your body to leverage stored body fat, keep the intensity low. If you want to bring, 
if let's say you, your sprint speed is lacking, then yes, you need to learn how to bring that heart rate up. That's where the accuracy of your zones are so valuable. How do we know that we're improving our lactate threshold if we don't know what that threshold number is until you get above it? That's where we get back into you getting comfortable being in that pain den of knowing what that feels like, that familiarity principle. Yeah. But back to the, 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 the question that came in, if you're telling me that you want to do an easy run and its purpose is to absorb maybe yesterday's ride session or something like that, think about it. If you go into four and five, your ride session on Monday was hard. Your now your run easy workout is hard. Where's that going to leave you on Wednesday? Flat, yeah. exhausted. Well, now you do that for seven days. Now you've got seven days of hard work. Now you do that for six weeks. Where are you going to be in six weeks? You're going to be burnt out. Yeah. And then you start seeing performance plateaus or regressions. And then what happens? People try harder. They just bury themselves even deeper, not realizing they need to do the exact opposite of what they're doing. Yeah. Because the fitness is falling. They think, oh, I've got to try harder. I got to go further. I got to go faster. When really going further and faster is just fatiguing. I always want the listeners to put it back in the context of a bike your bike, your hour meter has 200 on it. You don't go, Hey, this thing's fresh. Let's go. Yeah. You, you, re, you rebuild it. Well, when are you allowing your body to rebuild? Oh, I give myself one day of rest every in your eyes world one day a week. All right. Give it. What I want to know is if one day a week is complete rest, good job. You're doing the right thing, but you can't have five days of balls to the wall effort and expect to not be tired or torn down goes back to the illustration. If you run your bike in second gear all the time everywhere and you're not going to rebuild the top end or the bottom end and you keep running the oil low, stressing the system and you run the radiator low, stressing the system, the bike may have low hours on it, but how much stress did you put the body through? You've been riding it in second gear for hours and you're running it low on oil on purpose and running it low on radiator fluid. The bike still only has an hour on it but that bike is already on the mode of getting baked. And let, let's add another component. Go ride it in the mud in second gear with low oil and low radiator. And then you wash it off and you go, hey, look, it's a beautiful bike. It's only got an hour on it. It's an extremely strained system. But yeah. yet we think there's a different set of rules for the, the human body. That's why I want, if he has to walk to stay in zone two, let him walk. Yeah. And it goes way beyond the scope. Maybe the next time we're on together, we could talk about the psychological side of when you pull down the intensity, the amount of benefits that occur in the body from a mental and a physical. And I'm not trying to get into body zen and all of that. I'm saying just the raw numbers of how the body responds to low intensity training. If you looked at the pros and cons list and you looked at the pros and cons list of anaerobic, you will never do anaerobic training again. And I'm, that's not a soapbox. When you look at the cost of, when I say cost, the health benefits versus the negative benefits, and you weigh aerobic versus anaerobic, you will always, you will be blown away at how much more productive and favorable it is on health and wellness and performance on the aerobic side, way more so than anaerobic. Yep. But anaerobic is sexy. Aerobic's not. Yeah, yeah. It really. <laughs> I, I say that all the time. It's true. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think, like, like I said, like, I, because people, they, they, if they're stuck in that gray, we call it gray zone or in that zone three or 
or under their threshold. Like it, it does feel hard. It feels like they're doing something, but if you actually ask them to do a, a legitimate lactate threshold interval or a VO2 max interval where they're like redlining for three to five minutes, like it's not enjoyable. It's not yeah. when you really do go to that, that level of intensity, like it is really, really hard and stressful. So it should only be something that you can do like very sparingly. Well, and I like what you just said, you go into that pain zone and you haven't trained your brain to focus. So you're uncomfortable. You haven't trained the brain to focus. So that three minute threshold interval is miserable. Well, yeah. I wonder why you got all this metabolic byproduct going on. You got muscles working super, super hard and your brain's like squirrel. You know, it's like, you know, could you have any more of this going on at one time? You know, and for those that aren't watching it live, I'm moving my hands all around looking like a bowl of spaghetti. It's like, there's no, there's no continuity to, you're telling me you want to go fast and you want to increase your threshold, but yet you haven't trained your brain. You haven't trained the intense, the energy system, the intensity zone. So you're not familiar with it. And you think you can just pull a drop on that on race weekend. And it, it just doesn't work. It's, yeah. it's a prescription for disaster. For sure. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. It's um, it's actually like I've had quite a few of my clients the last couple of weeks have actually been like not completing those high intensity workouts and changing them for another day because we've educated them on that process of, okay, if you had to do two hours overtime at work and, um, or you're a bit dehydrated or for whatever reason, like there's a multitude of things. If you're not feeling fresh, then we don't need to do that, that high intensity workout. It's only going to, it's going to take us backwards then more than it'll take us forward. So we're better off, doing an easy session and completing that one another day. Well, if you recognize the only thing that's going to keep your continuum of improvement from happening is an illness or an injury. And like you said, you're already tired from a 15 hour day of work or you missed your hydration or you missed your calories. That is a prescription for an injury. It is a prescription for suppressing the immune system and getting sick, give up one workout or give up 14 because you, you're going to be sick for two weeks. And again, that sounds very, very, you know, cliche-ish while we're sitting here on a podcast together, but yet you've got to have confidence in the why. Why would I pull back today? Yeah. You know, I like to hear you say when somebody misses their hydration, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I, I keep a little posted on my desk, you know, how many times did I fill up my water bottle today? Yeah. Uh, we're sitting here, it's hundred percent humidity. It's almost a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. If, if I got caught up, working on a project and I look at my hash marks and I'm supposed to be at eight and I'm at three. Yeah. I'm not going out and doing a 90 minute run. Yeah. Michaela and I just did one this weekend. We did a two hour run and we rehydrated or excuse me, we refilled our water bottles twice. We, we run with the flasks around our waist. We refilled it twice. And in a two hour run, I still lost six pounds. Yeah. Right. On top of drinking. Yeah. So, you know, my point is people underestimate, if I had already started that workout dehydrated, how much, what would I have gotten out of that workout? Now, here's what's a little bit of a catch-22 being a human being. My body would have done everything it could to accommodate my stupidity. It would have done everything it could. It would have given me signs. I wouldn't have been running fast. My heart rate would have been artificially elevated because of the dehydration. 
anybody that's new listener, blood is made up of a large portion of that is water. So when the body becomes dehydrated, the surface area of the cell becomes smaller so that the ability to deliver oxygen goes down. So heart rate goes up to offset the need for oxygen, but the lack of water. So now I'm running at a slower pace, higher heart rate because I'm dehydrated, but I'm hell bent to get my two hour running because that's what my coach said I needed to do. Now in this case, I'm the coach. So I'm the coach and the client having a parent-teacher conference saying to myself, should I really do this? So that's where I have to open up my, my bowl of, of sugar and take a spoonful because it's like I missed my marks during the day. And I'm not making excuses, but I'm human. I got caught up in a project. I got half of the water I should have consumed. I'm damn sure not going to go out and do a 90-minute run in the heat. Yeah. Now... I hold myself accountable because it pisses me off that I can't do my 90 minute ride because I or run because I'm just like you. I'm super competitive. But what it does do, what it does do is it catches my attention that if I want to get those in, I've got to do a better job. I have to be responsible to precede that workout by doing the right things in order to get the best out of that workout. Otherwise, I'm just being me. I'm not calling the listener stupid. I'm being stupid because I know I'm dehydrated. I know I've been in the office and I'm determined to still go out and do it. And that my body, your body, every listener's body will do as much as it can till it can't do it anymore. And yeah. that's never smart. <laughs> it's unlike a motor. When a motor can't do it, it just stops. We yeah. can't do it. The body just keeps finding ways to accommodate until it gets to the finish line. Sometimes yeah. pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah, you're right. A hundred percent right. Like I, I quite often tell my clients that like I'm not a robot. I'm a human too. So I don't get it right every day. I no. sometimes I'll sit down at my computer and look three hours later, you're like shit. I haven't had a drink for three hours. Literally. Now, ideally they're, they're few and far between those days. Like I'm usually pretty good, but it still does happen to me sometimes. And like you say, that's not the day I'm going to go and smash out a, a long, hard workout without a doubt. So. Yep. And let's say for the listeners who love to ride moto, you know, instead of going out and doing some quote unquote long moto sessions at the racetrack, or you're going to go ride in the bush, go find a corner and just work sections for 10 minutes and then take a short break and work. So you still get time on the bike, just reconfigure how you use that time, keeping the overall heart rate low because you're tired. You've been in the office all day long, or you're, you, you know, again, going through something stressful, prefer professionally or personally. Hey, doesn't mean you can't ride, just change what you were going to do. I always say you can always work corners. Yeah. Corners can always be worked on and you could do it at a low heart rate. So the taxation on the body is very minimal. I don't know about you, but when I put my helmet on problems of the world just disappear. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to give that up, Yeah. but I just may have to accommodate, you know, make some small adjustments and be okay with it. Now, isn't it interesting how in today's call, how much of it is psychological. We argue with ourselves. That's why I tease parent teacher conference all the time. Man, I got them in my head all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. It's it's all mental, isn't it? Um, that's we were just a training camp I did on the weekend. We were that was we were talking about the different qualities of endurance, and that's like yeah. we've, we've got all those physical components and the nutritional components. But at, at the end of the day, endurance is mental, really. Um, well, obviously, what we do in training is is improving our mental capacity as well. So. Well, and then you have somebody like Dean who's had tremendous success. And what did he say? 
you know, until he finally was like, I've had enough. This is it. I got to figure this out and realize it was all in between his ears. Yeah. And he had the talent, he had the skill, he had the support, you know, and look at that. I mean, here's a guy that's been all around the world. And I'm sure if we talk to Todd or we talk to the Mossy brothers or we talk to, you know, anybody, uh, Reardon or any of those guys, they're going to tell you at some point you're sitting on the gate and it's all what's going on in your head. I mean, if we were fortunate enough to get Chad on or like I say, Reardon or, you know, any of those guys, talk to Ben Townley, bring in, I'm sure he'll tell you at some point in the conversation, the mental side is going to become part of the, the landscape. So isn't it interesting when we were talking about just getting on a trainer, using it as a mental, you know, teaching ourselves to get mentally disciplined. I'm not saying get mentally miserable, get mentally disciplined again. I think all of us could benefit from that, whether we're on, you know, a P-dub or we're on a 450. All of us can learn to get mentally refocused as a habit. 100%, yeah. Yeah. And like you say, it's just, it's getting harder and harder these days. That's because we, I didn't have a phone when I was a kid. So yeah. um, now, like you say, kids, and I like I even see it with our kids, like even the stuff, most of the stuff they're doing at school is on is on iPads already. So um, yep. yeah, like it's going to be a whole other level for them to be able to, to focus. It's, um, it's I, and I guess that's why it'd be cool to be able to get them into sports like motocross and, and mountain biking and things like that. Cause I guess it does give, it gives you that, I suppose. Um, it's definitely going to be more challenging for, for everyone as, as we move into the modern day era. Yeah. I just can't wait till it's cool not to have a phone because yeah. you know, everything goes full circle. So, you know, the eighties music, cause I'm kind of stuck in the eighties with music, you know, it's interesting how the eighties music still has longevity. There's more radio stations playing eighties music than, radio stations playing today's music, you know, and that you put all that together and I can't wait for it to be hip to not have a phone where people can actually sit across the table and have a conversation or, you know, stuff that we grew up with. It just seemed like it was the norm. And now it's like, I don't know, you take a, a child's phone away today and it's as if you just took their birthday away. I mean, they just have an absolute meltdown. It's crazy. Yeah. We'll probably all have, have computer chips implanted by then though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> all right. Well, I'd like to thank you. Um, thank you heaps, Rob, for coming on and sharing all that. There's a ton of knowledge there. I'm sure all the listeners can can divulge what they need to know about heart rate zone training from, from what we've been through. So thank you again for sharing that with everyone. Uh, you're welcome. And again, thanks for having us. And a huge thanks to all the listeners. Thanks for supporting the hundred percent podcast. I think it's one of the best out there and I love the diversified, you know, guests that you've had and it's, it's always an honor to be on there. So I appreciate it Ben, very much. Thanks Rob. And yeah, to the listeners, like if you've got any questions about any other topics, like I said, we did this one cause I've had a fair few questions of late on heart rate zones. So if there's any other topics you want to go deeper on, just hit us up and we can get them answered. We'll do it. Thanks so much. All right. Cheers Rob. Take care bud. Thank you. Thanks again, podcast listeners, for tuning in. I really do value your support in the podcast. Like I said, if you do have any questions at all, any topics you would like to delve deeper into, just hit us up with a DM at Off Road Performance Coach on my Instagram page is the best place to get me. 
I'll do my best to answer those questions within 24 hours and and include the topics in the podcast because this that's my goal with the podcast is to, is to make it I guess a resource for you guys for our listeners. So I love hearing the feedback I get from you guys. Um, so if you did get some value out of this one and you would like to share it on social media, that would be I'd be super grateful for that and mean the world to me. Social media makes the world go around these days. Unfortunately, it's it is the way of the world. So as much as I, I despise it on one hand, I obviously it, it's a big part of what we do, especially when you're running an online business. So if you could share that, that would mean the world to me. Otherwise, like I said, if you've got any questions, shoot them through. We'll get them included on another podcast. If you're new to the podcast, check us out at Offroad Performance Coach on our Instagram page. There's a little link on, in our bio there to take you through to our website, which gives you a bit of information around what we do with our services and our our online training programs, which can give you access to a program that talks about, I sorry, gives you a, a simplified version of what we talk about in all of these podcasts and educate you on the process in doing so. So you not only get a program to follow that that is, is backed by science, you also get access to our members site where there's a ton of video content, PDFs, lessons in there to educate you on not just the how, but the why behind everything. Then you also get access through the training uh, portal that we deliver the training to your phone on. You also get access to me to actually coach you on your technique and your results as, as you're moving through the program. So if that's something that interests you, check it out on through the link in our bio. Otherwise, I'll see you all, see all you guys on the next podcast and thank you once again for your support.